Um, my name's Sam. I'm a maths teacher here, actually. So, uh, but I'm an elder at the at the church. So again, welcome. Uh, this cold, wet morning. Uh, it re certainly reminds me of the UK, so this is a normal Christmas uh, for me. So I want to ask you a question this morning that, uh, well, as I said, the cold seems to get me more into the Christmas spirit because, because it's, it reminds me of what it'd be like in the UK. But what is it that gets you into the Christmas spirit? Is it from the first Christmas decorations that go up in the shops around late October? Or is it Christmas music that starts coming into the air, in, uh, over the air um, in shopping malls in about mid-November? Perhaps it's when you watch the first Christmas, tele uh, Christmas ad on TV. Um, the, oh. uh, in the UK, there's a... There's a shop called John Lewis, and like um, oh, let's go back one. And like um, I think the Super Bowl adverts in in the uh, in the U.S. are the highlight of the year for some people in the U.K. The John Lewis Christmas advert is one of the highlights. Uh, this year, there's a uh, it's a story about a, a little girl and her friend who befriends a a dragon who keeps on ruining everything. But the, uh, the tagline is, show them you care. Now, I, as, as someone who loves, you know, kind of dragons and, and things, that makes me happy. But I'm also just a little bit cynical, reminded that all of this uh, kind of emotional stuff, this smolch, is there just to remind you to buy stuff. Um, so it does just add that touch of cynicism. For, for some, I know that it's the oops, the Christmas lights. Oh, I lost it. Christmas lights down uh, Oxford Street, uh, switched on one of the busiest shopping uh, shopping streets in the, in the year. Um, and again, that's all to entice you to go to the shops and spend your money. Um, for some, it's about receiving presents. Um, and uh, I, I, I wonder, have you got your first present yet? I always get a few presents from my, uh, the parents of my students. Uh, one year, I think I got a very large, very nice bottle of Grey Goose vodka, which I do wonder what that says about me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but it was it's well received. Um, to be honest with you, I'm not a great receiver of presents. I, I find it quite hard, my friends find it quite hard to find out what I, I would actually want. I actually much prefer giving out presents. Um, this, was, this was my gift to the maths department last year. Um, Merry Christmas uh, jumpers, and so we all trooped into uh, lunch wearing them. Um, and. Uh, yeah, I, I love giving out the right presents. Uh, obviously, they, they cringed a bit when they saw this. But uh, the whole idea about this giving of gifts, this Christmas spirit is a very strange one, isn't it? And many people, perhaps rightly so, are a bit cynical about it. It's very fake. It's very commercial. It's become very fake. I don't know whether you can say it's it's become very commercial and fake because people were saying it was fake and commercial when I was a little boy. 
And it's remained so and maybe it's become more so. I've heard my fair share of Christians who say we shouldn't really care about Christmas. You see, Easter is our, uh, the great act, represents the great act of Jesus, the salvation of people through his death and substitutionary sacrifice. After all, didn't Christians steal the midwinter festival from the Tet pagans and substitute it for, for our celebration of Christmas? And we get that in, in a lot of a, um, the way we celebrate Christmas from kind of wreaths and even the idea of trees is, is from this midwinter festival. So why do we care about this overhyped, overpriced festival of capitalistic greed? Well, that's what I want to look at today, um, and I'm going to pray before we go on. Father, we thank you that you can bring us here, that we can just fellowship. We thank you for your great gifts, the great gifts that you have given to us, of family, of friends, comfort and security. We pray that as we look at the story of your birth, we remember why you came, and we, prepare, we pray that you show us why it is so special. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, I'm going to read again the... the the verses that uh, Eric read out earlier. I think it's important that we, we root what we say in the Bible. And if you have any questions, do come and uh, snag me afterwards. Uh, so we're looking at a reading from Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 8 to 20, from the ESV version. And in the same region were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known. And they went and made haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherds, uh, what the shepherds to uh, told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, as it had been told to them. Whilst I will come back to that, I want to do something unusual. I'm going to take you for a whistle-stop tour of the Bible certainly from the Old Testament. So we'll start in the beginning. 
In the beginning, when everything was created, God created the heavens and the earth. It was perfect like him. And he made man and woman perfect in his image to rule over the earth. That is our commission, to rule over the earth, to take care of it, to look after it, to make sure that it is ordered like him. Adam and Eve decided to disobey God and ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And God, being perfect, could not allow this rebellion, this is what's called sin, allow this rebellion to be within his presence. And so he cast them out and cut them off from a relationship with him and the tree of life. And so sin, this rebellion against God, and death came into the world. Just imagine that. We were designed to live forever. We were designed to have life. But when we were cut off from the tree of life, so sin and death came into the world. As man grew in numbers, he became more and more sinful, drifting further from God. So much that God decided to wipe out the world of all evil and save that there was one man who was righteous. One man and his family he saved in the flood. That was Noah. But the lesson of this is not that anyone can, or you can wipe out evil. Anyone who thinks that they can wipe out sin learns this lesson. Anyone who thinks that they can hide away in a Christian community can, must learn this lesson. Because as soon as Noah is safe, the first thing he does is he, builds, he, he plants a vineyard and then he gets drunk. So the first thing he does is he sins. And we see that sin is inherent in all of us. Within a few generations, man has become so sinful that he wants to build a tower to heaven. So that, and the, the phrase they use is that so that they can be equal with God. And so God scatters them. He, gives, he makes them speak foreign languages to each other and he scatters them. So they disagree. So we come to Abraham, and Abraham did not find God. No, God reached out to Abraham. God made promises to Abraham, not the other way round. God promised that the whole world would be blessed through him, rewarding Abraham not for anything that he did, because of faith, because he followed God. God said, up and leave your family and your tribe and follow me. And he did. And he was the first of many who just upped, upped and followed God. And God promised that he would be a father of a great nation. And through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, God's people grew from one man into a great tribe. And that was known as God's people. And through Joseph bringing Israel to Egypt, despite the hardship, God blessed his people. And they grew from being a great tribe to a great nation. Slavery and suffering came to Israel. And God raised a great leader in Moses to bring salvation to his people. Salvation, but the problem... The big problem wasn't dealt with. 
we see that even whilst God was giving Moses some laws for his people to live by, to keep them safe and to make them distinct from the other nations, to show his glory and his character to everybody. Israel, his people, the people who had been saved, the people who had been provided food in the desert, the people who had seen the cloud of God by day and the pillar of fire by night, Israel was making a golden calf to worship and moaning how it would be better if they were back in Egypt. What a terrible, selfish, ungrateful people. And even miracle after miracle, Israel complains and moans. And even Moses falls and fails. So God lets a whole generation of this ungrateful, stubborn people die in the desert. And a new generation of people, bold people, go into Canaan. But even this does not cure their wayward hearts. They conquer the nations in, uh, in Canaan. This doesn't conquer their, the sin in their hearts. Through Joshua and then the judges, we see Israel conquer Canaan and become an even greater nation. But we see the pattern, the same pattern repeating itself here. Even with God's chosen people who have been given his laws and set apart, as their number and power grows, we see a repeating phrase through the book of Judges. That repeating phrase is, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. The book of Judges ends with a terrible and gruesome story, a shameful act that's a, an awful warning as how far God's chosen people have fallen, how sinful they have become. That definitely should have an 18 rating on it. It's pretty disgusting. This isn't people, this isn't uh, foreigners, this isn't the Gentiles, this is God's people. But a new hope rises. First in Saul, whom the people choose as king, but then he is replaced by a king chosen by God. And this is the golden age of Israel. King David and King Solomon. Yes, you know the, the little boy who defeats Goliath with a stone, slung by a sling. He is the golden age with Solomon who builds the temple, who's supposed to be the richest man in history, the wisest man in history, but both are hugely flawed. We see David in his pride killing Uriah to sleep with his wife Bathsheba. We see Solomon allowing his many wives to reintroduce idol worship back into the land. Even these great God-anointed kings, sin still plagues God's people and the people of the world. And so Israel is split into two. Firstly, Judah and the northern kingdoms, which is called Israel, as Solomon dies. And we see a repeating pattern, an ever spiraling downwards. There are some brief flashes of godly kings and godly, God blesses the people through them. But those are reigns by human kings. And eventually we see the northern kingdom of Israel fall to Assyria. And about 20 years later, Judah follows. 
and God's people are exiled and there is no longer a nation known as God's people on the earth and we despair. There is a little light though. We see a great, great prophecies of Daniel, the guy who was in the lion's den, Ezekiel, Isaiah and Jeremiah and many minor prophets. We're, and, and they are prophesying about a great king to come. Not just a great king, an eternal king. We saw that read earlier, that passage from Isaiah 9. Prince of Peace, wonderful counsellor. This is not any normal king. From the line of David. We're left wondering what's happened though. What about the great promises that God, the perfect God, the creator God made to Abraham, Moses and to David? We're left in despair because there is no longer any of God's chosen people and the Bible falls silent for about 400 years. One of the most amazing stories from last summer was the rescue of the boys in the flooded caves in Thailand. It was on all the news on June the 23rd, 2018, 12 boys of the Wild Boar football team aged between 11 and 16. That's the age of the little you know, children who've just gone out, maybe your sons and daughters about this age. It's terrifying. Um, went missing in a cave complex in Thailand. There'd been a flash flood. They were used to exploring these caves, but there'd been a flash flood and the caves were flooded and the waters were rising. Kind of like today. And a search party was sent out. And they couldn't find them. By the 27th, so four days later, about an army of a thousand uh, army and navy personnel were involved in the search. I want you to close your eyes and imagine you being in that cave. You're with your friends, trapped. It's dirty and it's dark. There's no food. The only water is the fairly disgusting rainwater that's coming through the cave. How much do you hope that someone will save you? And how long does that hope last? Your parents love you, your siblings love you, your friends love you. But how long does that hope last? A few days? You don't know how long the days are because it's too dark to know. Is it a week that your hope lasts? Would your hope last a week? It took nine days for the British divers to find those boys. Now imagine how those boys felt when that first diver broke through those waters. Salvation had arrived and even though it took eight more days to get all the boys out, from that moment they knew that the people from all around the world were working their hardest to save them. They had food and blankets taken to them in that cave. Their worst doubts and fears would have gone. 
You see, sin came into the world from Adam and Eve. And just when a glimmer of hope of salvation and of stored relationship with our Creator seems to be found time and time again, sin, the failure of human flesh, shows us that we can't do anything. That sin is inherent in all of us and we are all sinful and hopeless. And so the Bible fell silent for 400 years and was shattered by the birth of a baby. Have you ever been to a baby shower? Um, what's the most lavish baby showers that you've ever been to? I see on YouTube a lot of these kind of uh, baby reveal parties uh, seem to get more and more lavish. Um, I don't know, if those are lavish, then what's the party like going to be like when the baby arrives? I must confess, I've never been to a baby shower. I've, I've, I'm godfather of five, uh, I've got nieces and nephews, but I've never been to a baby shower. But I've been to some pretty lavish parties. I, uh, I used to organise parties um, in, back in the UK. Some boat parties were my favourite. Um, but also a lot of weddings. My cousin's wedding was probably the most lavish that I've been to. It was in this beautiful church in the morning and then a small castle in the, in the evening and fireworks and dancing and lots of amazing food. And then the next day we had lunch in this Chinese restaurant on a boat. Um, it was amazing. One of my best friends had a wedding that was on a, in a beautiful little church. Um, followed by a re reception on the shores, uh, this stunning hotel on the shores of Lake Windermere in the Lake District in Britain. Outside the hotel, we, we were driving up and there was, seemed to be some kind of inflatable thing being blown up. And it was, uh, it became this, I thought it was gonna be a bouncy castle, it became this blow up laser quest arena. You went inside and you, played you know, Laser Quest, which was just amazing. It was funny because the, uh, the, the, the bride went in with her wedding dress and all her, her bridesmaids in, and we had photos of that as well. Uh, but you, because it was uh, inflatable, you could actually kind of rugby tackle people and you know, hold them down and, and shoot them. Um, but then there was dancing, and there was casino, and, and amazing food. Um, I've seen the fireworks displayed in New Year's in London and in Hong Kong and China, uh, Chinese New Year in Hong Kong. Amazing celebrations. I've been to massive concerts, but nothing matches what we see in this passage. Not to anyone, but to the... but to just a bunch of shepherds. The heavenly hosts appear to just a bunch of shepherds. The Bible falls silent for 400 years and is shattered by the whole heavenly host singing glory to God. If you're asking, still asking, why is Christmas so special? This should tell us, why is it so special that we need the whole heavenly host singing? 
I've been told that I sing well. Generally, actually, I don't think I sing particularly well. I just sing loudly and usually hit the right notes. But can you imagine the whole heavenly host singing in harmony? How often do you think an angel appears in the Bible? In most instances through the Bible, you see one angel or maybe two. There's three to Abraham. Never is there a whole heavenly host like this. I have no doubt that the heavenly host singing and lighting up the sky would have been greater than any firework display that has ever, be, ever been or ever will be. This is better than any baby shower, wedding, celebration, ball, anything you've ever been to. This makes it a very, very special baby shower. And why are they singing? What are they singing about? What is this what is special about this birth? Why is Christmas so special? It's verse 10 of that passage we read. And let me read it out again. And the angel said to them, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, not just for the Jews, not just for the British, or the Chinese or the Americans for all people not just for the rich or well-educated but for all people good news and what is this news a savior has been born who is Christ the Lord this is Christ of David's line the savior who would fulfill the promises of Abraham and Joseph uh, sorry, and Moses and David who would fulfill the prophecies of Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel this is the one who would be a savior to fix the problem the problem of sin and repair that relationship with God I have a friend called Ziggy in London he is a he was a young passionate Jew he's still a young passionate Jew uh, he's an intellectual and when he was young, he went out to prove that Jesus did not fulfill the Old Testament prophecies, the Jewish scriptures. And he studied and studied and studied. And he was converted because Jesus seemed to tick all the boxes of these prophecies. And he became convinced that the reverse was true. And now he works for the organization called Jews for Jesus. The Bible was silent for 400 years. The Jews were crying out for a saviour. But the world had been waiting through all ages for God's salvation, for something to be done about the sin of humanity, and finally the saviour has arrived. The end of waiting, the end of hopelessness, like a new dawn giving us a certainty of the salvation that will be coming, and that salvation has come. And I hope you see that this is why Christmas is so special. It marks the end of waiting. God came into the world. Salvation has come. You see, it's hard to understand this, especially for those who have not, you know, have not been accepted into God's family. I've heard many times that Christianity is called a crutch. And that bristles our pride, that bristles my pride. 
when someone calls Christianity a crutch. But this is why Christianity just demands humility. What if one of those boys who was trapped in the cave had said, no, I don't need to be saved. I'm a good swimmer. I can swim out by myself. I'll find my own way out. Or the waters will reside in a couple of days. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, recede in a couple of days. That would be just foolishness, wouldn't it? You see, we need salvation. We see it time and time again through history. Humanity is unable to save itself. We need that crutch. To become Christians, we need to ignore, acknowledge that first we need salvation. And it's more than just salvation. It's a restored relationship with God. He promises us peace and family and acceptance into his salvation and eternity with him. If you're not a Christian, then please do talk to somebody about them if, uh, this, if, you need, if you have questions. Salvation is being held out for you today. If you're a Christian, then I hope that I've shown you why Christmas is so, so, such a wonderful thing. And that God's Son entering the world is something to be celebrated. Let me pray. Father God, Lord of creation, it is amazing that you have, that you who are the creator God have chosen to come to us while we were undeserving, unrepentant and so wrapped up in our own lives. You came to us to save us, to die for us, to invite us into your family. We thank you for the great gift of your son and pray that as we fellowship together and eat together, you can continue to bless this church and this family. I pray that as we leave the church, some of us going off to far off countries, that you continue to bless us and remind us of your great gift. Amen.